always best friend is his mother. My name is Amanda. And I'm Kristen. And we are the Extra Sisters. So sit back, relax, and let's get creepy. Welcome to another 100 Years of Horror installment. And in this installment, it's going to be real short. Let me just tell you that right off the bat. Yeah. We're going to be talking about the first half of the 1980s. And the reason it's going to be really short is because there's only one film in this installment that we haven't already done a full episode on, which is cool because that means we did really high-rated films, but... We already talked about all these. Exactly. So we're going to start off with 1980. And the highest rated film, according to Rotten Tomatoes, from 1980, I don't think this is going to surprise anyone, is The Shining. Yeah. Like, that's a classic horror film. Yeah, obviously. Uh, directed by Stanley Kubrick, obviously starring Jack Nicholson, 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 <laughs> Shelley Duvall. Now, what's interesting about this film is it's obviously based on a Stephen King novel, but it's one of it's obviously classic Kubrick and you can feel that but now what we didn't have when we reviewed The Shining is we have the follow-up of Dr. Sleep yeah so now we have both that and I know we're not talking about Dr. Sleep in this but if you want to go back and watch them both back to back now you can do that and you can just cool back to back yeah because we enjoyed and it was them. done really well yes we did enjoy both of them so if you haven't seen The Shining, you should go watch that. But I won't judge. I'm you. surprised that's not your like first horror film. But okay, yeah, yeah. Now I can see how it would be like when I watched this when I was younger. It was a little confusing, and it can be kind of hard to follow. But essentially, a family goes and basically babysits and as a caretaker <laughs> for this hotel. And in very simple terms, a haunted hotel, but it's much more complicated than that and yeah. you can go listen to our episode about it but did you read this book Kristen I don't remember I did read this one okay you did read this one yes and the book ends differently or let me say there are characters that die in the movie that do not in the book you read Dr. Sleep as well too uh, yes yeah and yeah. same thing there are people that die in the movie that do not die in the book in Dr. Sleep as well yeah so they go and they're caretakers it's a family of three a uh, couple and their son and they are caretakers, and they basically, the father, Jack Torrance, is driven mad by the forces in this hotel, and he goes after his family, obviously, you've, you've seen with an axe, and there's a room, specifically room 237, there's all these entities at work here, which it basically makes it kind of like a haunted hotel, but it, again, it's much more complicated than that. So if you haven't seen it, the boy has these has the shine, basically. So he's got these kind of telepathic powers and, again... Sees ghosts. Yes. So you should yeah. go and check that out. But the music is also really interesting. It's got a really interesting soundtrack. It's art, modernist art music is what Kubrick chose for this. Yeah, so. it's amazing. The soundtrack to that just brings you into that horror world. Yeah, and it's very similar in actually kind of reading about it more. What I wanted to do for this, since we had already done this, and what I will kind of do for a little bit more of the episodes, is kind of explore a little bit more about some of the things we didn't talk about in the original episodes. And the music 
that he was going for was kind of actually first explored in 2001 Space Odyssey. So, okay, yeah, I can. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I can. I can feel that. Yeah, it's been a long time, but <laughs> so yeah. it initially opened only on 10 screens in New York and Los Angeles on Memorial Day weekend, and then was released nationwide within a month. And then it got a European release a few months later and was 25 minutes shorter due to he removed most of the scenes taking place outside of the hotel for the European release. Interesting. So like the maze and all of that. Correct. Hmm. Yep. It had very mixed reviews when it opened, which doesn't surprise me at all. This is, we've seen artistic horror up until now, specifically something like Suspiria comes to mind, but that was foreign. A lot Mm -hmm. of the very... I don't know how to say other than like artsy, like modern art type horror films up to this point have been foreign. Yeah. So, and Kubrick has a very, you know, interesting way of doing things. It also was competing against The Empire Strikes Back. It released the same weekend. So, interesting. Yeah. Huh. You're going against Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, had a very interesting opening weekend and Stephen King wasn't a huge fan of yeah, Kubrick. He hated it. He hated this version. What I find interesting though, now that we well, I guess once we passed Carrie in the seventies, we're now getting Stephen King movies in almost every single section that we're doing. We actually have two in this one. Yeah. And what I actually there's a whole section if you look into this is gonna interest you, Kristen. If you look into the i mean obviously if you look into the shining there's a bunch of history about the release there's Mm -hmm. a whole section about native american interpretation and response to this film really because of the whole thing about it being like you know the hotel being built on yeah an indian burial ground so there's actually essays about the shining from native american point of view so just an interesting little bit right there. Hmm. I may need to check those out because that's one of those things that drives me insane. Yeah. Because every horror movie, it's an Indian burial ground. Can it be something else? Right. So just an interesting little tidbit there. There is some perspective on Kubrick's The Shining, the film specifically from Hmm. an American point of view. So yeah, just I wanted to throw in some things that we didn't talk about in our review because Obviously, otherwise, it's just going to be, we did the episode of The Shining, go listen. <laughs> exactly. So, because The Shining is so dense, you know, yeah. the film and as history and in the book, and it's iconic. So, but you can go listen to our episode. We did it pretty early on. And most of our first year was doing iconic films that are highly yeah. Because when you're a first year podcast, one of the big things you want to do is gain an audience. And what's going to gain an audience? Buzzword. The films that people have seen and love. Correct. That's what you're going to want to go listen to. Right. So a lot of these hundred years things, when we get into more modern films, like with the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, moving forward. So, you know, just throw it. Yeah, they're going to be shorter episodes, unfortunately. Yeah. But it's still cool to see what made it Mm -hmm. on this list. Because like I said, like The Exorcist didn't. So we got to see something different there. Yeah. And I'm loving watching the development of film because... I even if we've done an episode on it, I've watched it in order all the way from Caligari to now where our and our ending one of this is Nightmare on Elm Street. Those are so different. So it's interesting to see, even though I've seen The Shining or the next one is The Evil Dead. I've already seen those. It's interesting to see them in chronological order on how the film developed. Right. And even within a decade. 
starting at 80 and yeah. 89 once we get there just seeing the dualities there is really interesting too it is so moving on to 1981 all of the films in of this five they're all american moving on to 1981 we have the evil dead which we have done an episode on the evil dead if you want to go back and listen to it but the evil dead if anybody doesn't know is about a group of friends who go out to a remote cabin and they're just hanging out and they find this tape that plays basically summons this evil spirit that then possesses everybody in the cabin and kills them all it's really cool you're out in the woods so there's even scenes where one of the girls goes out into the woods and she's you know raped by trees we don't actually see it but you definitely yeah. know what's going on yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's a point where bruce campbell's girlfriend she gets stabbed in the ankle and she ends up turning into this almost like porcelain doll looking possessed person that's mm-hmm. really freaking cool there's some cool things in it but if you want to listen to our episode i know i wasn't very into the evil dead it was pretty boring for me and i didn't have any nostalgia to go on with it so I didn't really like it. And if I remember right, Amanda wasn't great on it either. You know, it's. I think you're right. It's one of those things where it's it's very campy, obviously, because it was very low budget. For mm-hmm. Sam Raimi, obviously being involved, of course, he made a name for himself because the special effects being low budget, it was pretty impressive. Like even now, yeah. it being 2020, I couldn't go out and do what they did in the 80s because I'm just not creative enough nor innovative enough to do that. But... Um, I did want to mention, though, that one of the things, if you've been listening to us for any amount of time, you know that my thing is, like, demonic faces. They just bother mm-hmm. me. They can be the most low-budget film and the most, like, lame-ass demon face, and I'm still going to be like, ew. It still did right. it for me. Like, I was still, when she looks under the trap door and everything, I was like, is it? Nope. Nuh-uh. But it did. What I will say is the remake, this inspired the remake, and that's one that's still, like, for me, one of the scariest movies, like, it really gets me. And so I have to credit it for being such a terrifying concept, like a Necronomicon in general. Like, it, it's, I think it's very well written. And I think that in general, it's a, it's a good concept. It just didn't really hold me as far as like, from beginning to end, really wanting to just be really into it and, and, captivated by it no did it do that yeah so but i definitely feel you though because the same thing cabin in the woods my favorite horror movie of all time would not exist without the evil dead i mean it's that cabin basically exactly for that so there are so many things that the evil dead created that wouldn't exist now without it so that's amazing yeah definitely so um, utmost respect for it not my thing did get me in a few spots though and i will give it that so i definitely have a lot of love and respect for it in that right there so yeah unfortunately i don't have any trivia or anything like amanda did but there's lots in our main episode about it so well i was about to say it's because we since we didn't have a ton to really like go into on the episode other than that because we were like meh we did a lot of that in the episode so yeah you can go check that out in our in our main episode on the evil dead So moving into 1982, I'm sure it's no surprise that this film is Poltergeist. Now, just like The Shining, it's since be a trend in horror, honestly, forever it has been, but especially from here moving forward, this whole community of these homes that this family lives in was built on a burial ground, and these 
spirits or these poltergeists are pissed the fuck off. Yeah. As they should be because they were disrespected and desecrated. And basically the people that developed this community said that, oh, they will, that we respected them and we moved them and da, da, da. Well, they didn't. They just moved the tombstones, headstones, basically. And so this family gets a poltergeist and it steals their youngest basically and takes it to takes her to a different realm their youngest being carol ann and so they have to it's basically just a haunted house movie i say just but again they call in it's like a, a haunted house movie exactly they call in a group of parapsychologists from a university and they come in and this one really sets the stage for they make me think of the insidious films like Mm-hmm. parapsychologists come in and they go to another realm this really definitely makes it inspired a lot of modern film even if they don't say like this was inspired by poltergeist you can feel it in so many yeah. films and so they bring in this team of parapsychologists and they do all of these things they contact these things there's a whole scene in a closet where they got to cross over and go get her and that's why they are, it reminds me of insidious because you get the family members going to the other side and bringing their daughter back and of course you get tiny little zelda and she's great and uh you have steven spielberg involved Mm -hmm. which and toby hooper which is texas chainsaw massacre so we have texas chainsaw massacre and we have jaws directors coming together for this very very different suburbia paranormal yeah yeah which is really cool you expect you know texas chainsaw massacre this is going to be bloody and disgusting no there's really no gore in it no it's just a creepy spiritual ghosty paranormal movie and this also kind of freaks people out with the white noise and things like that and i mean how many times have you heard they're here in pop culture you know. Oh my god, I still, they don't even have the white noise on at the end now, but I still leave my TV on, and if it goes black, I have to turn it back on. Or, you know, when I was little and it did have the fuzzy screen that it went to, I had to turn it back on or put a movie in or something. Like, there's going to be a ghost hand coming out. Yeah, it's so scary. Something's going to come through you. And I did notice in rewatching this film, actually the last two times, I did mention it in our main episode too, but once again, rewatching this film, I have reached an age... (laughs) that this always makes me cry this movie always makes me cry every single time when she's trying to get the kids at the very end and she's all by herself and she's like lord give me strength and i'm like oh my god i'm crying with her so that's an interesting phase to be at you're old i don't know i know i'm old now (laughs) 30s i'm so sorry but yeah i hit 30 and now i cry at the polter at poltergeist so sad so something interesting about this is, again, I got really into looking and I was like, how can I make these a little bit more interesting since we've already done episodes about these? So the only reason Spielberg didn't direct this film is because he was directing E.T. And there was a clause in his contract that he could not be directing any other film. So Hooper's mm-hmm. over directing. And there has been some debate about... Apparently, there has been things saying that when they were filming this, Hooper was just, like, super happy to be there, and Spielberg kind of took over things. And he was kind of letting Spielberg direct, even though Hooper took the director credit. Now, Spielberg's not going to say that, you know. Yeah, of course not. 
and Hooper is not going to say that. Neither one of them are going to say that because this was technically, I believe, produced by Spielberg. Obviously, okay. he couldn't say he directed it. Yeah, producer, written and produced by Steven Spielberg, directed by Hooper. But there are just some, there's some talk about the fact that Spielberg kind of took over direction from Hooper when they were on set. And Hooper was just kind of like watching Spielberg do his thing because it's Steven Spielberg. You know what I mean? Hmm. But that's that's just, sad. that's just hearsay. And the Hooper was just kind of sitting there smiling, wide-eyed, like watching him do his thing. But then there are also things saying that while Spielberg gave pointers, Hooper still called most of the shots. So kind of let that be what it will. This is also, it was up for a lot of Academy Awards. It was nominated for Best Sound Editing, Best Visual Effects, Best Original Score. Didn't win any of them, but it was nominated. Are you kidding me? Yeah. What did it go up against? Oh, I don't even remember. It just, I just... Nobody I mean, visual effects, they're, I mean, they're very 80s and they're very bright blue, but for that time, they're great. E.T. Oh. You know, <laughs> okay, that's fucking fair, but they're two fucking Spielberg movies up against yeah. whatever, just whatever. Spielberg is never gonna win. It's fine. against Spielberg. It's fine. Yeah. So, you know. Us horror lovers, we know. Yeah. We know. AT was real good though. So that's like, true. I bet original score and sound editing all was ET. Went to ET that year, yeah. yeah. Now it's probably took everything. Yeah, for the Saturn Awards, it did win best horror thriller film, best makeup, and best supporting. Rubenstein won best supporting actress. Yeah, she did. Yeah. So and it did win the BAFTA for best special visual effects. So good. You know, and it has a shit ton of remakes and sequel it has a remake and then some sequels mm-hmm. uh, that i'm sure we'll get into eventually but yeah it was pretty well received by critics obviously it's one of the highest rated movies in the horror genre as far as these classics go even some of the classics have some splits on critics but poltergeist even roger ebert enjoyed it he said it was an effective thriller not so much because Ooh, he doesn't love anything but yeah, he said Hooper and Spielberg have tried to see the movie's strange events through the eyes of the family members instead of just standing back and letting the special effects overwhelm the cast along with the audience. So he really liked the storytelling aspect of Poltergeist. So, which I think is what you were kind of saying. You got emotional with the family. Yeah, I'm very into that family. And right. yeah. That's why Ebert liked it so much, is because the writing and, and all that was on point as well. So you really got into it from that point of view, too. Hmm. Yeah. Moving on to 1983, another American film, and the first one on this little list that we haven't done an episode on. Woo! And a Stephen King. And another Stephen King movie. We have The Dead Zone, which we have David Cronenberg is the one that directed it, which he also directed The Fly. Mm -hmm. Amazing director. Mm -hmm. He does crazy shit. We have Stephen King. Deborah Hill produced it, which Halloween. She's our girl. Yes. Martin Sheen is in it, and Christopher Walken. So it's like an all-star cast, director, producer, all of this right now for horror. It's great. The Dead Zone, which I have been dying to watch for years. I just hadn't gotten around to it, and I'm really glad that this list led us because great movie. Mm -hmm. So this man, Christopher Walken, is a teacher, and one night he gets in a car accident, and he ends up in a coma for five years. 
when he wakes back up, his girl that he was going to marry has married someone else. She has a child with them. His parents are older. His mom ends up dying fairly quickly, and he ends up having to live with his dad. He can't really walk. He gets to the point where he gets off crutches, but he still has a limp, so he usually has a cane with him. And it goes through the years of his life, and it's, I want to say, like, three-ish years. Mm-hmm. And he moves from place to place, and he ends up becoming a tutor for kids because he was a teacher before. So we might as well do this. You can't go back to teaching. Let's be a tutor. He ends up being a tutor for a very high-up society kid. And that kid is how he gets introduced to Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen is a guy who is running for Senate, and he has big dreams someday of being president. Well, Christopher Walken, after his accident, after his coma, when he touches people, he sees things now. He sees the future, or the past, or some huge event in people's lives. Like, he touches his doctor one time, and he sees the... I'm assuming his doctor was Jewish, and he was being taken away, and his mother was in hiding for sending her son away, and he always thought that she was dead. We find out she's not. Christopher Walken touches a nurse one time, and we find out that her daughter right now is in a burning building. Let's go save her. Things like that. He touches Martin Sheen, the guy who wants to be president, And when we touch him, we find out that he's going to be the one someday. He's going to be president, but he's going to be the one that hits that big red button that we all know about that's going to nuke something. Oh, interesting. So in order for that not to happen, Christopher Walken has to decide if he's going to kill him. He finally decides that he will. He's going to go kill him. He goes to one one of Martin Sheen's rallies. And he's ready, he's got his rifle, he is prepared to shoot him, he misses. When he misses, Martin Sheen holds up a toddler to, you know, save him as a body shield, and it destroys his career. Christopher Walken ends up dying, and that's the end of the film. And it's incredibly tragic, because he loved this woman this whole time, and she ends up being the one to, like, hold his hand while he's dying. I gotta say, like... If I may interject. Of course. Christopher Walken made this fucking like this, Amazing. this movie was, was really well done, but I cannot I'm sure if they had cast somebody else and they were good, then it still would have been good. But seeing this film and I just cannot imagine another actor of this era doing this. Doing this. Like yeah. he did such a good job because I've really only seen Christopher Walken in films of more like, you know, 2008 on when, you know, when we were, you know, you know kind of more films like shit he's done like whole, like, I don't know, like. All I'm thinking of is Pulp Fiction, you know, when he tells a little, have you ever seen Pulp Fiction? Yeah, it's been a long time. Where he tells a little boy, Bruce Willis, to, <laughs> that he shoved a pocket watch up his ass to bring it back for him. Like, that's the Christopher Walken I know. It's those adult roles that we see him in. And it's not to say this is an adult. Yeah, like, it's just, I've seen him in more modern stuff, like, when we saw him in, like, Hairspray and, like, you know, like, mm-hmm. when we were kids and growing up, like, I didn't... Like, crazier roles, not so serious. And, like, Click, you know, with Adam yeah. Moore and shit like yeah. that. So seeing him in something like this was really cool, because you hear about him being a great actor from before. It's just, like, we, you know, we didn't see that in the movies we saw growing up, obviously. 
not that he wasn't yeah. good in those he was just sillier characters you know yeah i thought he was amazing and not just him the sets too it felt so fall and cold and chilly like you want to light all the candles and it's a perfect horror movie weather and the buildings were so beautiful oh the buildings that they used for each scene mm -hmm. were gorgeous the reason I, I don't it felt so cold was because they were filming in an actual like weird blizzard sub hero deep freeze yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly I felt those things. Yeah. I don't know. It was a more intelligent horror movie than, yeah, any other Christopher Walken ones that I've seen. Well, and I mentioned that because I was, like, looking to see. Because, you know, sometimes they'll be like, oh, so-and-so was considered for this role. You know who else was considered for this role? Huh. Bill Murray. Bill Murray? So we're going to, like, Groundhog Days this one? Yeah. Well, I think they made the right choice with Christopher Walken. I do, too. Because I think it says Johnny Smith, Bill Murray. I mean, you know, Bill Murray. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it would have... I just... I mean, I don't know. It's just hard to imagine. Like I said, anyone except for Christopher Walken, Walken doing this. Roger Ebert liked this film, too. And uh, one of the big things he said was because of Christopher Walken. Yeah, he does an amazing freaking job. Yeah. It's one of those... Like, freaking The Shining without Jack Nicholson. That's... No. There were other no. people considered for that, too. And oh, I'm sure there's enough. There's a Shining miniseries that doesn't have Jack Nicholson in it, but it's not as good. Ew. I mean, I'm, I'm fine, <laughs> but, like, you know, I wouldn't wouldn't watch it. <laughs> no, I would. It's just, it just feels wrong, you know? You need the crazy fucking eyebrows and the, the voice. and I don't Exactly. Know. Like, he is fucking... Like, Jack yeah, it's Sissy Spacek not being carry it it makes no sense they epitomize those roles so well and i feel like i agree that's what christopher walken did with the dead zone mm -hmm. i really want to read the book now too yeah i'm really interested do it yeah i might i might <laughs> the last film in the first half of the 80s in i know that we already mentioned this but 1984 brings us to a nightmare on elm street a little bit different. We're getting into slasher territory here. And I know this is technically a slasher, but this one is such a different slasher when you think of slasher because it still has that element of paranormal to it, which most slashers don't. They're just somebody killing. But I guess Jason right. also has a paranormal element to it too, a little bit, especially when you get further into the sequels because yeah. you just. Because he keeps coming back. Right, exactly. But this one especially because it's not like it's there's that much to it i mean there is but these teenagers are figuring out that they're falling asleep and being killed by freddy krueger uh that's plot. nancy's our main character here and she's our final girl our protagonist and she's the one that's really trying to figure out how to bring freddy back out and face him head on and her friends are being picked off one by one including her boyfriend played by johnny depp and it's just really great seeing Johnny Depp young. I just got him. That's one of my favorite parts. Oh, and he has the best death scene oh my in God. all of horror movies. The infinite room and everything. Oh, so good. All the blood. Yeah. 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 Super great. And listen to more about how they did that on our episode on Nightmare on Elm Street. So just pop back to year one and listen to that. Of course, you have some of the iconic scenes, the bathtub scene with the little knifey fingers coming out and all that fun stuff. But that's the plot. People, kids falling asleep, 
the getting killed in their dreams get actually die in real life the way that they're killed in their dreams kind of you know except they see obviously different things on the other side and than we do over on this side so that's nightmare on elm street there have been there were some sequels that we'll get into and there have been remakes i think they're i think uh, correct me if i'm wrong this is from memory nightmare on elm street and friday the 13th were both remade in 2009 yeah around the same time mm-hmm. which is within what i don't even think it was a year of each other i think they were the same year but I yeah. Think they, yeah i think they both were the same year and this is west craven so mm-hmm. you know super iconic west craven film when this was released it was an immediate success and that kind of speaks to the fact that horror has always been the thing you do on the weekends with your date like it it didn't have like obviously it had trailers and stuff but on opening weekend it earned it eventually earned a total of over 25 million dollars but just on opening weekend it grossed like 1.2 million in the 80s damn yeah and got 57 million worldwide so I mean, yeah, you take your date to a horror movie so that they are scared and jump and you can love and kiss on them. This is a perfect thing. Exactly. You got hot Johnny Depp in it. She's going to want some after. Like, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And another thing, too, is I just think people have just always wanted to be scared. That's just who, like. Agreed. You know, we just always want to be scared. And that's why horror films do so well when they're done, especially slashers. Like, even bad slashers are going to do well. Mm-hmm. Like, the shittiest slasher. And if you get a wide release and it's just gory, it's going to do well. But then, well, I think the reason this did so well, obviously, it's Wes Craven. So it's written well. Special effects are great. But there's just so much blood. Yeah. Like, goddamn. And Freddy is scary. And he was different than anything that you've seen up to this point. Yeah, I mean, we had had, we've had slashers. We've had Psycho now. We've had Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But I, there's so much blood in this one. This uh-huh. is the first one. I'm looking at even the list of our 80s ones. There just wasn't that much blood until oh, now. This one is killing the game in blood, man. Yeah. Like, because at this point also... I mean, we've had Halloween, we've had... Which wasn't very bloody. Friday the 13th, which is bloody, but it's not this... Even it's not this bloody. bloody. Yeah. It's so, not a room full of swimming pool blood. Like no. no, and then even with the person up on the ceiling and moving around and just getting, like, all these wounds on her that you can't even see. Like, this is just so different than anything that was done. And uh, so I imagine... Of course, it had that opening weekend, and then it just went on to rake in the fucking cash, man. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, people went out and were like, oh, my God, you got to see this, you know? Like Exactly. And then when you find out that it came from New Line Cinema, which was basically bankrupt at the time, that's why they were the only ones to take this film on, because, you know, what did it matter at that point? So it was done with such a cheap budget with a company that wasn't demanding very much and it just raked in the cash everyone just you know went home with money that's great especially in the 80s that's what you want yep it was supposed to be remade again in 2015 but that never happened good yeah yep they were gonna bring back england said he would come back for it robert england Okay, that would have been okay then, hopefully. I, mean, I just think that as long as he's around, how can you not? Well, 
the one that they redid in 2009 had Jackie Earl Haley as Freddy Krueger, not mm-hmm. Robert England. Which it's so weird, though. <laughs> I know. I love Jackie Earl Haley. Like, I have loved him since he was in Bad News Bears. Love him. But he's not him. Freddy Krueger. That's what I'm saying. Like, nothing against him as a person, but, like, he just looked, it was just not Freddy. As yeah. long as Freddy's around, you should let Freddy be Freddy. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. that's his character. Just like the shape, you know, for Michael. I know that he right. hasn't always been the shape, like, for, for all the movies, but... No, I get it. Or, like, Kane Hodor for for, either, for Jason. Yeah. He hasn't done all of them, but he's done so many that he's, you know, like, our Jason. Mm-hmm. Robert England. No, don't do anybody else. I would also like to mention that there's an American pornographic parody film called A Wet Dream on Elm Street that I would like of to watch. Of course there is. So, of course there is. I would just like to end on that note. And it was done in 2011, so it it took somebody that long. There's no way. To make a porn parody? There's no, it, it's just probably the most popular. There's Horror no, always gets the shaft. <laughs> Get it? Get it? <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for hanging out with us for this first time. <laughs> We'll come out with the second half here soon. We've got some interesting... It's Actually, the second half of the 80s is mostly stuff we haven't done. Yeah, which was cool. Yeah, so there's actually only two on there we haven't done. So it'll be a little bit more of things we haven't done. So a little bit more... We did actually make this longer than I expected because we got into more stuff that we haven't talked about. So I hope you did get some new information out of this, even if you had listened to some of the episodes we have already done. If you haven't, go back to year one and check out some of those episodes. We hope you enjoy them. And of course, you can find us on all of our social medias. Everything is the Extra Sisters podcasts and Twitter, which is at the Extra Sisters. You can find us on our Patreon if you'd like to join our little patron family. We appreciate our patrons very, very much. It is patreon.com slash the Extra Sisters podcast. Also, we are still taking recommendations for the Women's Right to Vote episodes. This is 100 Years of Horror and 100 Years of the Women's Right to Vote. We would just like to mention... Black women, women of color, did not get the right to vote at the same time white women did. Susan B. Anthony was really fighting for white women, specifically, not really fighting for women of color. We would just like to mention that because, you know, everybody deserves the right to vote, but Black women, women of color were kind of left behind here. That being said, if you have horror movies that highlight specifically Black women and women of color, we want those too. Like, Mm -hmm. be thinking about that too. But if you have any movies that are female-driven, we have a powerful female lead, that's kind of what we're looking for. But if you have one that has a, a Black woman, woman of color, we'd like to involve some more of those too. And I know that women of color, especially in horror, you know, kind of have, I don't mean to reuse your verbiage again, but I've been getting the shaft for a lot of folks. <laughs> Uh, send those in. We're doing our own research as well, but send those in if you know of any off the top of your head. The Sisters at gmail.com is the best place to reach us because Instagram and Facebook do filter out messages and sometimes they just don't get the notifications. So email is probably the best place to send those in. And until next time, stay creepy.